0: In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today.
1: So those two games, Dame, going crazy, Lakers, Historic comeback. Still not the greatest thing I saw on the weekend. Not even close. I don't even know how to describe what I watched. I'm not sure. The Kings and the Clippers. The the Clippers were down 14 points with three minutes left to go. And the Clippers statistically had a 98% chance of winning, according to ESPN Stat Metrics. Narrator. They did not win that game, Clippers. They lost. And the Kings and the Clippers game ended with two overtimes, 351 points scored. The live over, the total in the game for betters, was 290.5, which is an absurd number in its own right, at the end of the third quarter. It hit the over with three minutes left to play in the fourth quarter, and it sailed almost 60 points over that stat line. Crazy. It was the second highest scoring game in NBA history. But it was, to me, that, that actually cheapens it a little bit because it was a lot more than just a barrage of points, right? You had a drama, a storyline, the entire way. First of all, you knew that the Clippers are trying to come back in the standings against their division rival. Anyone who has the Kings to win this division. This is a very important game as the Clippers try to claw in. It's Russell Westbrook's first game as a Clipper. He had massive impact in that game as the Clippers' offense was running much faster, much smoother. Anytime he was on the wing and got the ball, he attacked, got Demonis Sabonis in foul trouble. He had 17 points, Russell Westbrook, 7 for 13 shooting, plus 3 when he was on the court. That, that was an important showing for Russell Westbrook. And second, although you're going to want to say, well, it was all offense. That's all it was. No defense was being played. That's why I hate the NBA, blah, blah, blah. That's not true. Nothing could be further from the truth. Both teams, yes, they shot 60% from the field overall and almost 60% from three, both of them. But you had some incredible Kobe Bryant-like shot making going on. You had multiple defenders draped on players, traps, and you had – Fucking Kawhi Leonard step back three with two guys in his grill, and he's just hitting that? That was the kind of offense that we got to see. And in the final three minutes, the Kings caused turnovers on five consecutive possessions. Fox himself responsible for three three turnovers in a row. You had bench players scoring 40-plus in Malik Monk going crazy with his best friend. There were multiple seemingly knockout punches thrown, mostly from the Clippers to the Kings. Multiple comeback runs. Key players in foul trouble like Demonis Sabonis. Westbrook fouled out. So did Sabonis. Kawhi Leonard, 12 for 14 in that game at one point. Pretty much unstoppable no matter what you threw at him. One shot looked like it was the first bad shot he had thrown up all game. Shooter's touch, roll right in. It was incredible. Paul George hit a half-court shot at the end of regulation that would have robbed us of the two overtimes, but he was a millisecond too late. You had star players sitting out the second overtime because, fuck it, dude, we can't do this anymore. We've got load management to deal with. Paul George sat out the second OT. It was One of the most entertaining games I've ever seen on a basketball court. And it came down to a missed three-pointer at the end of the second overtime. Which, by the way, was bonkers. Because why is Norm Powell involved in the offense in any way when Kawhi Leonard is right there underneath the basket and definitely will draw a foul when you're down two? I don't understand. Down one, actually. I don't understand it. Why shoot a three in that scenario? But... It was also something important there, the real reason that I enjoyed this game so much. Man, the Kings are gritty. They are never stopping. They are hard rocks. You talk about guys who just, when they, when they uh, get down, they just lay down and stay down. They are not going to lay down. They are the product of Mike Brown and the symbol of a winning coach who has brought a culture that people thought would not be possible for this organization. A coach that said at this part of the season, right now, after the All-Star break, with only 27 games left, he said, yo, this is when the real season starts. This is it, really, like all the other bullshit. Yeah, 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 that's all fun and games. This right now, this is when teams say, oh, like we got to get ready for the playoffs. We got to solidify our spot in the standings. This is where he said the kings are going to be hunted. We are now the hunted. Have you ever heard anyone say that about the Sacramento Kings? Like, they are coming for us. And you know what? We're going to hunt them right back. We're not going to allow ourselves to slide down the standings and just be happy with being a fun little story for the first 60 games and then be a playing team. No, no. Three seed. That's us. When you've got the three seed kings being hunted by rivals in the division alone like the Phoenix Suns with Kevin Durant coming back, the Clippers with the whole new roster, our dubs who look dead but are never dead. Mike Mike Brown has done something in one year that almost nobody has, turned a team that many people thought wouldn't even win 30 games into a team who legitimately after – That game, one seventy six, one seventy five, and they uh, they were asked about, oh yeah, like what's up with these this this Clipper team? Like, how'd you feel about playing against him, playing against them? You had Deer and Fox, and Malik Monk saying, we don't give a fuck who's over there. Literally, that's what they said when specifically referencing playing against a former MVP in Russell Westbrook, a two-time Finals MVP in Kawhi Leonard, and an All-NBA player in Paul George. And you know what? They said, we do not give a fuck about who we play. They are not scared. Why are they not scared? Because somehow Mike Brown, with this collection of really interesting pieces, has turned the Sacramento Kings into a team who can just outgun you. They are averaging 118 points per 100 possessions, which is not only number one in the West. That offense is not only number one in the NBA. That offense is the best offense in NBA history right now. Yeah, that is what they did. They have turned themselves into a gunner. They can shoot the three with Kevin Herter, Keegan Murray, and Harrison Barnes. We know that they do that really well. They have Sabonis, who's a walking double-double. De'Aaron Fox, who is not getting nearly enough shine right now, averaging over the past month 32-7-4 and on 54% shooting and is legitimately the best clutch player in the NBA. First in clutch points, first in field goal percentage, first in paint points, first in points off of turnovers, and first in fast-break points. All of those for our guy, Foxy. Which now has turned into a slight conflict for me. National media hype. The Kings are now getting national media hype. On one hand, I was pissed that nobody wanted to give Sacramento any, even hope, that they would do anything, if even mediocrity, before this. Like, I said, oh, maybe I'm crazy for thinking there'll be a playing team. I remember sitting right here in this spot being like, oh, yeah, uh, I actually thought they'd be better than that, but I was so afraid of people calling me an idiot. This is not your father's Kings team before the season started. And the other conflict is that the more people who stop slandering the Kings, the better, right? That's good, but I'm kind of like, you're a little late. You're a little late. It's awesome to see this franchise do well. It's a great fan base. i love to see them get a little bit of national love. But we don't, we don't need full-scale conversion. We don't need them losing the chip on their shoulder. They are the three seed right now with 20 games left to go. So part of it is like, were you just waiting for the Kings to just fall off the map? just never, ever report what was going on and just pretend like it was a little blip on the radar. And now that there's 20 games to go and they've been sitting at the three spot for like two months, you're like, well, we should probably afflux him to a national televised game or two. But it's a credit to Mike Brown, man, his winning mentality because all he does really is win. He got fired for winning, Mike Brown. 41-25 and as the coach of the Lakers and he got fired. Five games into the next season after he took over for for Phil Jackson, like that's how much Mike Brown wins is like, even that level of success wasn't good enough for the Lakers. And the Lakers, since him outside of the bubble, have had eight of ten losing seasons since they he's coached them. So th- there's that. He spent seven years in Golden State, as we know, which you already know what time it is there. Lots of winning. He spent time in Cleveland, which you know, a lot of winning with LeBron James. And very typically, the media was very late on Mike Brown as well. Mike Brown, I decided I would head over as I was doing this piece. Maybe I'll head over to the little sports book, sprinkle a little money on Mike Brown, Coach of the Year. Who knows? Maybe it'll be 5-1, 6-1, 7-1, something. You know, nobody's thinking about Mike Brown, right? Nobody's thinking about him. Nobody's thinking about the Kings. Uh, well, that 176-175 sort of changed the odds a little because as of today, Mike Brown is currently leader in the clubhouse for Coach of the Year, plus 110, which is pretty. Basically, barely even money. Barely. There's no value there. You heard that right. A Sacramento Kings head coach is the odds-on favorite to win coach of the year. If you had to guess where Mike Brown was at the opening as of October 2022, do you think he was like, what, top 15? Top 20? Top 25? None of those. So it was – Chris Finch at 10 to 1 was number one, leader in the clubhouse. Ty Lue, 12 to 1, makes sense. That Clipper team had a lot of steam. Joe Missoula didn't make any sense. Boston Celtics had just come from the finals. You have to improve a lot in order to get coach of the year. How's he going to do that? 14 to 1. Willie Green, 15 to 1. A lot of steam on the Pelicans and them being great in the West. Michael Malone, I guess you thought already everybody was going to be healthy for the Denver Nuggets. JB Bickerstaff at six, at 16 to one. Makes sense. You got Donovan Mitchell. And Mike Brown sitting at fourth from the bottom at 80 to one. God, somebody, I need to know who placed that bet. 80 to one, Mike Brown was to currently plus 110. Should anyone have been surprised? I mean, he's not looking at a team for the Kings that's trying to lose not wanting them to just keep their head above water. He wants them to continue to put their boot on the neck. And the schedule lines up for the Kings to do that, put their boots on the necks. Their next five games, Thunder, Clippers, Wolves, Pelicans, Knicks, all winnable for the last four at home besides the Knicks. And so to me, the way that I know that the Knicks mania is real, for the first time I can remember, TNT flexed a Kings-Knicks game into prime time on the national feed at the expense of Giannis and the Bucs versus the Nets. Better late than never, but while you're at it, folks, warm me up on that purple beam, baby. Let's move on. We talked about the dysfunction in uh, Atlanta multiple times now. I don't need to say how I feel about it. That franchise is a mess. And uh, Nate McMillan, of course, became the, nether, the next one to bite the dust, as they say, after Travis Schlenk. And I'm I'm pretty sure this organization is, like, nuclearly toxic. But the way that I know for sure is that when asked about Nate's firing, Trey Young said he was, quote, honestly surprised by it. The most amazing thing, I think, about that statement is that it's only two words and both words are lies. Like, both the both words are lies. Like, honestly surprised. You were neither of those things. Trey is not being honest. That negates the first word. And he was definitely not surprised because he definitely made that firing happen, either subliminally or very overtly given the fact that Sham said that the Hawks were trying to get him to resign for multiple weeks before actually firing him. So definitely not surprised and definitely not honestly surprised. So the Hawks apparently were just interested in one candidate, Quinn Snyder, who's a really, really good coach, but not a great fit in my opinion. Uh, I like him a lot, but this guy's got to have PTSD for Rudy Gobert and Donovan Mitchell. Like, has to. Has to. He probably aged him. Did you see what he looks like? Quinn Snyder at the end of that thing looked like he needed cocaine just to stay awake. He looked like he needed all nighters, rails on top of rails, bitches, money, parties, disco balls, just to continue doing his job. How is he going to do in Atlanta? How is he going to deal with a reboot with Trey Young? More cocaine. I don't know how that's going to work, dude. I do not know. He's got a five-year deal now. With one of those years being now, which I think is funny. Like, the first year is 20 games. Get your money, guy, I guess. Money has not been disclosed yet. I can't wait to find out what that number is. Uh, I cannot imagine he wouldn't have benefited from waiting until the offseason. Uh, better jobs would have come open. But they must have given him the bag. But now he's in Atlanta for the foreseeable future. And now he's also lying, uh, trying to be optimistic because he's got his money too. He said this, I think players want to get better. I think they want to be coached. The relationships are what allows you to coach them effectively. How did it work when Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert didn't like each other? How did that work? How is it going to work when John Collins is still on this dog shit team and Trey Young won't pass him the ball? Do you not understand what Trey Young does? Trey Young just dribble, 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 shoots from thirty, floater, floater, lob, maybe drive and kick. He does not have a reputation for being like a coachable player. He does not have a reputation of like Trey Young has constantly improved throughout the course of his NBA career. Trey Young is averaging the worst percentage from three in his life right now. He's actually regressing. So for Quinn to be like, I think players want to get better inherently is a lie. In fact, only about 5% of players in the NBA want to actively get better and actively coach. The other ones want to coast. That's what they do. They want to enjoy their money, enjoy their life, be a human being, and hoop. That's what they want to do. What do you think Trey Young's going to do when you're like, hey, we're actually running, uh, running things through DeJounte Murray now? (laughs) I don't think it's going to be good. When you ask Trey, like, hey, how do you feel? We need to know if you're playing tonight. And he tells you, fuck off. I'm going to decide last minute. How are you going to deal with that? It's like, I'm going to let you know at game time. How will I know? I'll be there in my uniform. How will you not know? I won't be there on the bench at all, like he did to Nate McMillan. There is a decent chance this goes sideways. Like this. I'm saying it now, February 27th, 2023, this thing could go off the rails in 12 months. If there is any hope for a rapport between Quinn Snyder and Trey Young, you can thank Donovan Mitchell for that. According to reports, Snyder and Trey Young are both expressing an enthusiasm to begin working together. Donovan Mitchell profusely praised Snyder in a private conversation with Trey Young and told him how instrumental the coach had been in his own development into an all-star. Also, quick little note, nobody asked Rudy Gobert his opinion. Uh, Rudy Gobert was not stumping for Quinn Snyder. But if Trey is looking at Quinn as someone to help him get in a new stratosphere, maybe, maybe that will work. But that will actually require some level of self-awareness, some level of, of intrigue and coachability, court awareness, just all kinds of things. Better shot selection, which is pretty much a tall task, which we've seen very little from Trey Young. All of this begs the question, which I'm sure will someone will ask Quinn Snyder sooner than later. Quinn Snyder, who is harder to coach? Rudy Gobert or Trey Young? And I bet it's going to be Trey Young. Because this Hawks team has a lot of talent, but is a long, long way from being a contender even with a good coach, elite coach like Quinn Snyder at the helm. That's all the time that we have for this episode of The Heat Check. Check back Friday morning for an all-new episode. Do not forget to watch the feed for past episodes and interviews and for bonus episodes that drop unexpectedly throughout the week. And please follow The Heat Check as the season heads towards the playoffs. Download, subscribe, tell your friends, every single one of them. And follow us on social at Check and at Trista Crick on TikTok because you know what? The Heat Check never sleeps, especially during a record breaking weekend like this past one. We'll see you next time, folks.